here with us uh, earlier in the year. Uh, we were privileged to have Pastor Michael come and uh, do a leadership seminar for us on a Saturday, and he stayed and, and preached uh, Sunday. Uh, I've known Michael over 10 years. We served together on a church staff in Oceanside, and uh, he is part of our accountability board as well. So he has uh, been a part of this church and has prayed for you and has known our journey. Uh, he's an incredible man of God. Uh, not perfect, right, family? <laughs> right? So, uh, but we're privileged uh, to have him bring the word and, uh, you know, just bless. Bless um, uh, even uh, Joseph and Merle. Thanks for coming up and moving us in worship uh, for that. And uh, God is good, right? Right, and so uh, this is Michael, a dear friend, love his family very much, and have enjoyed our weekend together. And so we're just privileged to, uh, to have a great word. And thank you, Rich. Thank you. Hey, well, uh, well, it's great to be here. And um, you have a beautiful town that you all live in. I got to actually see it this time. Usually I drive in, and uh, I've only learned that there's one road up until just this weekend, and I actually realized... You have a bunch of roads, like, go all over the place, and there's houses and everything, so, um, it's crazy, crazy, I didn't know where y'all lived before, I thought everyone lived on this avenue, so, um, hey, it's great to be here, I have been on the accountability board, it's a really boring job, because, uh, Richie and the team, uh, don't do anything really wrong, so I haven't had to do anything with that job, it's been the easiest job of my life, good thing they don't pay me, and, um, that's been terrific, so, uh, so a couple of things, you know, number one is I, I, um, uh, I was real excited, you know, I, I had some time this morning, I, I've been staying at, a, we, my family and I have been staying at a hotel just around the corner here, and uh, had time to just sit out and smell the llamas from down the road, and um, that was actually pretty cool, <laughs> and um, man, that sounds weird, but, um, but uh, the, um, just praying for y'all. You know, it was a great morning of just prayer and sitting out there and just praying for whatever God's going to do uh, this morning. And so it was, a, it was an exciting morning of just prayer and just uh, watching the sunrise and um, come around the, the building and shine its light on us. So uh, one of the things I wanted to let you know is um, this August, uh, is it August 3rd, this bowling thing? Well, my sons and I took up bowling this, uh, this summer. We're terrible. But, um, but uh, you know, we'll do lessons if you really uh, need some help there. So the bowling thing for you men, uh, get out there and practice. We've learned a few things about bowling. Um, we've learned that it's hard. And um, we've learned also that um, sometimes a 14-pound ball is better than a 12, so just man up. And, um, and, uh, and there's usually a kid that will run in front of you and make the older guys like me, Matt, and my son say, calm down, Dad, it's just a child. I'm like, messing up my game, I'm going to bowl 100 today. So um, anyway, it's, it's pretty cool. So I'm happy to be here. So um, I've been listening um, to some of the sermons that Pastor Richie's been teaching. And, um, you know, I, I, as I was preparing, I was thinking, you know, okay, God, you know, Richie's been talking about uh, unity and, and what it means to be uh, fellowship and, and what it means to be connected as a body and what it means to be a church together. And as he's been talking and he's just talking um, in, in the messages I was listening to, I thought, wow, you know, it is absolutely incredible how God has designed uh, us to be uh, in relationship with one another. How he designed the church 
to be a body of believers, not a building, but a gathering of people who would worship him and praise him. And, and, and I think, oh, it's so exciting, this idea of being us in a world and, and in days that feel like it's so much about just I and me. And there's this gathering, at least weekly, where we get to be us. And as I'm listening, I'm getting more excited. Like, how many of you has it been of... Richie's looking this way, I won't let him look back. But how many people would say, like, just listening to this idea of unity and connection in the church, that's been encouraging to you? How many people would say that's been really encouraging? How many of you would say it's something that you truly long for, and when it's missing, you can feel it? How many people? Yeah. And, and, and I'm sitting there, and all of those emotions are sort of flooding over me. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm listening, and I'm, and I'm reading, you know, I grabbed my Bible as he was, you know, as I was listening to the recording, and I'm, and I'm going, and I'm looking up the scripture, and I'm getting reminded of this great stuff that God has for us, his intention for us, to be gathered together. And then, I also became kind of discouraged, because within me is so much what I call I-ness, okay, like, like me-ness, like like how what blocks fellowship for me so often is me. Like I may blame it on not enough this or not enough that, but it's usually me. So this, so I had to, I, so I created this like iness. So what is iness? So it's the me, my, I disease. Anyone have that ever? You know that me, you, you get it. It's like a cold, right? It comes, it lasts for about 10 days. Doctor can't do anything for it. Then it goes away and you think, oh, I like being part of the body, and then seven days, ah, you know, your eye, me, my eye, me, my eye. And so, or the other thing I call it is the what's in it for me syndrome. So like the me, my eye disease, that's more like the cold. The what's in it uh, for me syndrome is almost like um, a psychological disorder. Because everything that occurs, you go, oh, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And so what, when, I was, uh, when I was thinking about this, I was like, well, what, like every good medical journal wants to show you its symptoms, right? So, so, INIS, so this is what INIS does, right? It blocks the way to fellowship, connection, and community with God and others. That's what it does. When I begin to think about I, or when I begin to think about me, and I put myself in the center of the universe in my life, and everything is orbiting around me or I, God begins to get marginalized because how can he take the seat that I need in my life? So I begin to marginalize God. I begin to push him off to the edges of my life. Then I start to think, well, what about this? Oh, this, this project fell through and oh, work's not going the way I want it to go. And this person's bummed. My, my kids are driving me crazy. And my, my wife and I aren't getting along. And, and all of this stuff. And it's because what I've done is I have a case of I-ness. I've put myself in the middle of the orbit of my life. I've displaced God to the edges. And now I'm dealing with all of this brokenness that resides within me. That God has an answer for me. But I've pushed it off to the edges. So recently, a friend of mine, good, good friend of mine, right? So um, she had a family conflict with, uh, with a sibling. And uh, her and her brother, something happened. He overstepped the boundary. She decided she's going to reset the boundary. So she says, you know what? You've gone too far. Here's the boundary line. Please don't cross it again. Right? Relational stuff, family stuff, you yeah. know. 
And uh, so she's off water under the bridge. The whole thing's done, right? Few, we, there was even a big uh, family gathering where they were all there, and no one's even, you know, it wasn't even on her radar. It had, it had passed in her mind. And uh, she gets a call from the brother. And her brother starts uh, kind of questioning her, sort of condescendingly. You ever have any family members like that? Like that, all of a sudden you get the call, and you're like, <laughs> you know? Here we go. You know, I'm going to go on one of these. And uh, he asks all these questions. They're kind of condescending questions. So she's kind. And so she tries to settle it down. And she starts to answer the questions. And wait, 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 wait. On the other side of the phone. He interrupts her. Let's talk about me. I need to talk about me. What about me? Right? Massive case of ironness. Like... Here he's calling to confront something. He's asking questions. And he can't even wait for the answer to the question before he starts talking about himself again. Because what he's done, unfortunately, is he's allowed himself to become the center of his universe. And everything orbits around him. So God is marginalized. Relationships are marginalized. People are marginalized. Fellowship is marginalized. Everything becomes marginalized. And so what happens in that person is you start to hear people say things and, and I, you know, I'm not going to do a show of hands but I can raise my hand to every one of these things I, I'll catch myself saying why can't I catch a break why can't they see it my way why can't I get ahead why can't, and, I, and I start going I, me, my or I do this well what your problem is what you're doing wrong what, right and it's all related to how I've just taken myself I've displaced God, I've marginalized God, and I've placed myself at the center of the universe in my life. And this happens over and over and over again in each of our lives, every day, at varying degrees. And it's because we have a God who loves us, who wants us to be in unity and fellowship. He wants us to be intimately connected to Him and others. But we also have an enemy that wants to whisper in our ears and say, Oh, look, he left his toothbrush on the counter. Oh, look. You know, she doesn't appreciate my hard work every day. Oh, look, the pastors don't really care about me because they didn't say hello to me five times today. You know, <laughs> and this begins to happen, and we all get caught in it, and it just and it's just part of the challenge we face as we seek to stay unified, <coughs> stay connected. So what happens is as my friend was dealing with her, her brother, and all of this is happening, I started thinking, I know both of them, I know their stories, and I started thinking about it, and if uh, you could flip to the next slide, what I realized is every time I-ness overtakes our life, and I was thinking about my friend's brother, I realized they, that, that we tend to move into living in isolation. We put ourselves at the center, we push everything else, and we have an isolated life. Now, there's some of us that like to be alone, right? Maybe we were more introverted. We like times of aloneness just to kind of settle down, to think. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this isolation where you allow no one to, no one can get too close because if they get too close, they may get to know me. And if they get to know me, well, I don't even want to know myself. You know, and it's that kind of pushing away. And I've been there. There was a period of time where I was going through some really hard stuff. And one day, I kept on taking off. I kept on leaving the house. The kids were younger. Uh, Corey was working from home at the time. 
And I would leave the house for hours. And I would just jump in my car and I would drive. And I, I was trying to clear my head and I was trying to figure out what was going on. And what, what was occurring was um, I was just trying to, is- I was isolating myself. I was pulling away from everyone. And one day, you know, Corey was asking me, my wife was asking me, hey, you know, what's going on? And she's kind of trying to figure out what's happening. And I said, you know what? I don't even want to, I don't even want to be around myself right now. And that's what happens when our whole world becomes so centered on us. We don't even want to be. I think that's a lot of times why people decide to leave the church. You know, and they take off and they just say, ah, it's not for me. I can't do this. And, and they may, we may start to try to figure out what to blame it on, you know. But what happens is a lot of times it's an inside job. At least for me it's been over and over again. I've been a pastor for how many years of my life and I don't even want to be at church sometimes. I mean, you know, and it has nothing to do with the church. A lot of times it has to do with me because I'm struggling with this. The other thing it does is it creates all these insecurities. So you don't, you don't even have a sense of what your strengths are anymore. You know what? Here's the good news today. If you leave with nothing else, God has implanted within you gifts and experiences and abilities and perspective in a love relationship with him that he has designed for you. That's exciting. I mean, if you're sitting here today thinking, oh, well, I'm just a... Oh, no. Oh, no. You are... You're missing the point. He has created you for a purpose Far greater than what you may have discovered yet. You know? I mean, this five, seven and a half, because I'm shrinking, guy (laughs) who read one book in high school, you know, one book. I read The Good Earth by Pearl S. Buck. And I thought that was a huge accomplishment, but I read one book, you know? And uh, it's a great book, by the way. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, I read one book. And, uh, and I didn't like school, and I missed a bunch of days. Um, I worked, I liked that. And, uh, you know, here I am, I've got a library. It's ridiculous, it's like it's in the garage now, because it couldn't. And God has just woken up in me this desire to learn and grow. And go. I didn't know that was in there. That took me continuing to look at God and say, what do you have for me, what do you have for me, what do you have for me? And boom, this whole world opens up. You know? And I think to myself, wow, only with God. That's unbelievable. You know? Who would have thought this kid that, like, kind of failed his way through, or I didn't fail, but I kind of, I just kind of made it through, you know? And, uh, and I think, oh, God has this whole big plan, whole big plan outside of what I ever saw in myself. He's got that for you. And he's got bigger things for me than I still can imagine. That's an exciting, that's an exciting possibility. But when we're in I-ness, it's all the insecurities. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. I can't. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too small. I'm too big. And we start to, our insecurities overwhelm us because we're focused on ourselves. And we've taken our eyes off of God and we're missing the mark. Because we're not being, we're not opening ourselves up. We're isolated and we're insecure. And then we get these feelings of injustice. Like the world has something against us. God has something against us. And so this whole thing's unfolding. And that's what we're battling as we try to get to this idea of living as us. 
I think that the vast majority of the reasons churches struggle and have battles with each other and start arguing about seat placement and ministries and all of these things that if you spend any length of time in church, you've probably either been involved in it or been on the outskirts looking in and going, these people are crazy. Good thing Jesus loves them, no one else does. So, you know, that, that happens, right? So what happens is we, we want to consider what God has for us, right? And what God really has for us is this idea of, of usness, right? So there's a pastor out of New York. Um, he's written a bunch of books, and he's retiring right now. His name is Timothy Keller. He wrote, wrote a book called The Prodigal God and a, a few others. And he has a quote. He says this. A life of self-glorification, that's what I call I-ness, the life of self-glorification makes unity and love between people impossible. Two things we all want so desperately, glory and relationship. He's talking about the glory of God, right? We want to experience the glory of God. We want to experience relationship. Can coexist only with God. Glory and relationship can coexist only with God. That's amazing. That it can coexist only with God. And yet when Imus comes in, that gets in the way. So let me read to you Philippians chapter 2, right? If you want to crack open here, I'm going to go to three places. I'm going to go to Philippians and Romans. So, so just, to, just buckle up and I'm going, to, I'm going to hit a couple of places here. Philippians and Romans. Now, um, I didn't mark it, so um, hold on. Let me get there. Philippians chapter 2, right? It's up on the screen. I'm going to get there eventually. Um, sorry. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, right? So, so this is God's uh, intention uh, for us, right? This is when we, when we think this way, this is how we displace ourselves, get ourselves out of the center of the universe of our lives. It says, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, right? So if you are united with Christ, if you sit here today and you say, I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He is my God. I love him. You then and I am united with Christ. In that, that is the, that is the first step to unity with Christ. And if you have any encouragement from that, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, he is a God who wants to comfort you in his love. If any fellowship with the spirit, his spirit wants to be in fellowship with you, not just tucked away, hidden inside, right? It says, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, right? So how are you making his joy complete? Check this out. It says, by being like-minded, right? So yes, like-minded to God. Right to have the mind of Christ, but like-minded as well, one with another. That if I have Jesus living inside of me, and you have Jesus living inside of you, that there's an opportunity for us to put on the mind of Christ and then to be like-minded. So I may like the Chargers and you may like the Raiders, but we can be like-minded on the things of Jesus. Right? We're not enemies. And this is amazing. This is amazing. It says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not to your own self-interest, 
but also to the interests of others. How do I look to your self-interest if I'm in the center of my universe? Can't. Can't do it. Can't be both ways. If I'm taking up all the space in my life, I can't look after you. Because my problems are too big. And this is the stuff we battle as we try to live like us. So let's move ahead a little bit and let's get to some, some, some encouragement here about this. So, so Inus was never part of God's intention. He didn't create us to be isolated. He didn't create us to be insecure. He didn't create us for these things. He created us for relationship, right? He created us to be together. He didn't create us for Inus. He created us for usness. Okay, if you're a grammarian, you hate me today because I have messed up the English language about as much as I can. Okay, so you, you and I are created for usness, for unity, for fellowship, for connection, for relationship. But the truth is this living as us is not a whole lot easier than living as I. Because living as usness is sloppy, right? Because here's what happens it's sloppy because. You know what? I know that I'm a mess. Okay, let me confess that to you. I'm a mess. I love Jesus, but every once in a while, when I'm driving, I act like I don't even know him. Okay? You know? I love Jesus, and I'm still a terribly mean dad at times. Judgmental. Slamming my kids for things that Jesus forgave me for. You know? So I'm a mess. I love him, but I'm a mess. And to be honest, no show of hands, but how many of you feel like that? You know, I love this God. I love this worship. I love this church. I love these people. If they only knew how much of a mess I was at times. And this all gets into the church and it starts messing with us. And it, and it want because because our enemy wants to separate us. He wants to whisper things in our ears like this: If they found out they couldn't love you, they would never pray for that. They could never accept that. If they hear about that again, oh, yeah. So we've got a spiritual battle going on for this. We've got a cultural battle going on. We've got all this stuff beating against us. And so what happens is. Is we, we start to, to get, we start to um, look in the mirror. We see our cracks. We see our fears, our failures. We see the fine lines. We see the, we see the stuff. And we think, whoa, whoa, wait, usness shines a lot of light on us. And it starts showing up all of that stuff. And so the church is constantly being, when I say the church, I mean all of us sitting here, is constantly being just kind of hammered by this. And, and because, because if, if we are unified, if we become us, if we really live in relationship with one another, if we really spur each other on, you would be so dangerous for the kingdom. Do you catch what I'm saying? Like the kingdom of God would be so expansive if even a fellowship of 150 people could start living as us. Shedding the masks, not worrying about the things you see in the mirror, but exposing yourself to others and saying, let's live as a body of Christ in all our great successes and faithfulness and in all our fears and failures. Let's live as a body of Christ. 
And if you did that, you become such a dangerous gathering of people. The disciples were dangerous. They didn't get killed because they were manby-pamby. No one killed Mr. Rogers. I love Mr. Rogers. No one killed the man. He was kind. He was gentle. I have his picture in my office. I'm telling you, I love him. But I wouldn't want to go onto a battlefield with him. Because the guy pointing a machine gun at us is not going to get dissuaded by King Friday. For you Mr. Rogers fans out there, that's a deep thing. So anyway, so, so here's the deal. You know, well, I have to prove that I really love Mr. Rogers, so I have to throw that reference in there, you know. So, so here's the deal. You and I, as we accept Jesus, and as we make a personal commitment to love this God, and to worship this God, and to serve Him, we have to be us, because we need to know that there's other people stepping out with us. And that's why I think that we get these spiritual attacks to try to divide us and try to show us our differences rather than our usness, because as long as we can think we're different, then we remain weak. But if we come together and we invite people in and we continue to grow as us, then we become dangerously strong in the world. And I'm not talking about marching with signs. I'm talking about living a life of authentic faith that's so attractional, people wonder, what is it that that man or woman has? And I want a piece of it. They have so much peace, so much joy, so much love, so much friendship. I want that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about swords and guns. I'm literally talking about the gifts of the Spirit being expanded. And that's what we need so desperately. But that takes an active faith, and that takes an active work of living as us, because anything shy of that is too weak. Because remember, when we look in the mirror, we see the mess. We know where we're weak. And if we begin to get into the I-ness piece, then it's we're isolated, we're insecure, and we, all we see is injustices. And we can't go out there. So we need each other. We need each other desperately. So what do we need from each other? Romans 12, verses 10 through 13. It'll be up on the screen, but you can also open up your Bibles on your phone, right? It says this. Um, it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above ourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I mean, look at those words. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Here's some references for that. Psalm 133.1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9-11. Verse 10 says this. And in fact... Uh, oh, he's talking there and he goes, hey, in fact, you do love all the brothers. That's what, you know, in first it's like, hey, in fact, you do love all the brothers. Check this out. It says, yet I urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Hey, you love someone? Love them more and more. You say you love me? Love more and more. I say I love you? I better love you more and more. And as I love you more and more, I'm going to be able to love you through all of the usness, all of the messiness, all of that stuff. To love you through that. You know? And, and, and as the church, think about if we do that as a church. We can barely do that in our own families at times. Right? We can barely do that with, with people saying we love the most. 
But we're supposed to. You know? And love is, is this fragile thing that gets attacked a lot of times. And so we have to remember. It's not, oh, I love you. you know, think about this if you're married. Imagine you said, um, well, honey, I told you I love you on our wedding day. Why do I have to do it 25 years? From, you know, why do I have to do it now between now and 25 years? Can you imagine? I mean, think about that. You know, oh, I, I told you I loved you once. I mean, if any of you men do that, you need serious counseling. But, um, you know, but, but think about this. You know, so he's saying, hey, I love more and more, love more and more, love more and more. And then if you look at some other references to this idea of brotherly love, it says this, Hebrews 13.1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Keep on loving each other because the author of Hebrews knew that keeping on loving is far too hard because if you get in the way of that, you're going you're gonna to short circuit it. Then you look at 1 Peter 1, 2, 22. It says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. So check that out. You've purified yourself so that you can love the brothers. So you, let's just say, maybe it's like this. I've accepted Jesus. I've Jesus in my heart. I want to love you with the love of God. Okay, that's not the end. Now do it more. Deeper, fuller, keep on going. So it's not passive. Brotherly love is not passive. It's a love and love more and love more and love more to the point where you're loving people you never even could have imagined sitting near. Welcoming into your home. Being a part. That, that is what the church is supposed to be doing. That is what the church is supposed to be doing. Creating fellowships of people like that. That love beyond. And then beyond. And then beyond. And then beyond. And I'm telling you something. I'm not saying this as an expert. I am so judgmental. I am so want to push and marginalize and get people out of my way that aren't, that don't fit what I, you know. So I'm saying it, sinner. Truth, truth is right, sinner's wrong, I've got to learn to love more. That's crazy, right? This is how we do it. So, let me jump ahead a little bit. This idea of living it as us leads to a couple of things. Um, look at the difference. The I-ness leads to isolation, right? Insecurities, right? Um, what was the last thing I said? Whatever it was. And, uh, <laughs> and, and thus this... Leads to these things. Unconditional love. Brotherly love. Coupled with grace. Unconditional love. I mean to come to a place where you know. You can be loved unconditionally. Now that doesn't mean you get away. With doing whatever you want. There's still got to be people in your life. That say. Um, maybe you need to check that. Maybe you need to rethink that. There still needs to be those people in your life. You, you and I still have to give people permission to hold us accountable. And then we receive that unconditional love. You know? So I have some friendships like that where I have people in my life where they can say anything to me. You know? They'll tell me, hey, you're being a bad husband. The funniest thing is one of my best friends is not married, never been married. And he's often the one that says, you're being a terrible husband. <laughs> you know? I thank God for that guy. You know, I thank God for him. He has no idea what it means to be married, but <laughs> but that's even better because he's like, I'm going. He's going after the ideal, right? 
He's, he's going after the ideal. He's saying, don't make up excuses. Because how many of us married men would sit back and go, oh, but you haven't heard. Ugh. You know, and, and do our little gossip thing. You know what I mean? So, so I love it, right? So this unconditional love is part of this usness. The utilization of gifts. Here's what I mean by that. It's not just you recognizing your gifts. It's me recognizing your gifts. And going, I love seeing how God works through you. You know, and someone else saying, uh, and seeing someone else go, I, I see something in you. And you go, what? You know, what are you talking about? I don't see that. That's incredible. And you can't get that isolated. You can only get that in fellowship. You can only get that in relationship. Where if others start to point out to you the things they see inside of you that they believe God is doing. And that's incredible. The other thing that happens is unlimited possibilities. Here's what I mean by unlimited possibilities. It's, it's that, it's that uh, in these verses I was just reading to you from Romans, it's the joyful hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That is unlimited. Joy, joyful in hope. How many of us feel hopeful and joyful every single moment of every single day all on our own while we're sitting there by ourselves? Very few of us. Very few of us. But in fellowship, in usness, it's saying you can be joyful in hope. In usness, in fellowship, you can be patient in affliction because you're not going alone. You can be faithful in prayer because you're not going it alone. That's the amazing part of fellowship. That's the amazing part of the body of Christ. Then there's this ultimate connection and satisfaction, right? Again, from this, this verse in Romans, sharing with God's people. We're told to share with God's people. Okay, share with God's people. That means right here. That means some of God's people that are outside of there. So he's not talking about the unbelieving world right now. He's talking about people who have come under Christ and said, I surrendered my life to Jesus. And he's saying, you can, you can have this, this joyful hope, this, this patience and affliction, this, this faithfulness and prayer. And it's yours to have. And you can practice hospitality with one another. Welcoming the other person in. Being in fellowship with one another. Right? And, and finally, it's an uncommon life. And this is what I mean by an uncommon life. If we live like that, we send a radical message to the world around us. To the world, the watching world. And they begin to go, what is it about that person? What is it about that place? What is it about that collection of people? And that's what usness creates. Let me close with... Uh, with almost like a, uh, in the book of Romans here, it's, it's chapter 15, 5 through 7. It says this, says um, Paul saying, uh, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christians. Why does he say that? Why does he feel like it's important there to say, The God who gives you endurance and encouragement. I mean, do you think about that? What do you need endurance for? I mean, I have Jesus. Do I need endurance? I just float on clouds. Right? Jesus in my life. Yeah. That's not how your walk with Christ goes. You're living, you're walking over the same rocky paths, you know, the same wooded pathways, the same confusion, those corners. You're coming up against those same walls that turn into corners. The only difference is you have a fellowship of people that can help you through. Right? But you need endurance for that. You and I need endurance for that. 
and encouragement. So where does the endurance come from? The endurance comes from others going, oh, you can do it. You can do it. Right? But the encouragement comes when you're going, ah, can't go anymore. And the people come around and go, you're okay. This is good. We're, everything's still good. Yeah. We're still going to praise God. Right? And this is an amazing thing. So he says, so he says, right, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God. When you and I sing worship songs together, we catch a small glimpse of with one mouth and one heart glorifying God. When you and I get over the idea that we can't carry a tune, and yet we sing enthusiastically with one heart and one mouth, that's incredible. Sometimes I just stop and I listen. And it just starts to overwhelm me. But this is what God does. He gathers together a collection of people. He makes them us. And then we get to journey together on that. So, a couple of questions for you that I want to give you. We'll keep them up so you can write them down. So, we're to endure, we're to encourage, we're to unite. So, what's your vision for usness? What's your vision for it? You know? How do you bring this usness more alive, both within the well and in your sphere of influence, wherever it may be? Work, school, um, whatever your community outside of churches, right? Number two, how can you contribute to living as us? How can you contribute to living as us? Now, your eyeness needs to get away, that you need to set aside. If you want to answer these questions, you've got to take a little bit of time and push this stuff aside so that you can get to us. Or usness, right? Then what stands in the way of you making that contribution? That's an important question. Because that's the I stuff. What's standing in the way of you making that contribution? And then who can you invite to join you on this journey? Because here's the thing. If this list stays stuffed away in your Bible, your vision stays stuffed away in your Bible, or you think you're going to lone ranger it, then we're missing the point completely. So it's, hey, can I show you this? Would you do this journey for me, with me, alongside of me? Can I do your, what's yours? Can I, can I help you along your journey? And oh, by the way, I know someone that's excited about that same thing. Can I introduce you to them? Oh, man, I know that person. They sit three rows back by. Oh, yeah, you know. And that's how you begin to do it. So it moves from being just a program of, of the church to something that is infiltrating all of our lives in every relationship. And that's really what usness is about. It's not just for us. Right? That's the trick. It's not just for us. It expands out further and further. Let me pray. And, uh, Heavenly Father, um, I thank you, God. I praise you. I thank you for throughout your word, giving us examples of the relationship aspect of your nature and how you desire for us to be not just only in relationship with you, 
but unified in relationship with one another as well. God, thank you in advance for what you have been doing but are going to continue to do as the well becomes more and more and more committed to loving others and living as us. God, put on our hearts and minds the others that we invite in to this experience of, of living as us. And God, I pray in advance that you would just give people great vision, great excitement, great enthusiasm, so they can step beyond their fears and step out in faith for whatever you may have for them in this journey to live as us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. We prepare for communion. We read the next four verses in that Philippians 2 passage. It really helps us understand, well, how is that? Because it sounds really good, usness. And I want that. Not just here, but in, in my house. Right? In my marriage, with my kids, my every relationship. But then, if you're like me, you're sitting here and like, how is that even possible to get over this I-ness, right? And uh, every scripture shows us, because it goes, uh, the usness starts at the cross. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if you're sitting here like, man, I love this usness, but if I'm hearing Pastor Michael through the word correctly, that means i got to die. How do, you get, how do you get rid of the I? You die. But how do you do that? Well, you go back to the cross and you, you humble yourself. It says, let your mind be that of Jesus, who humbled himself, took the form of a servant, and ultimately died out of love. The ultimate act of self-sacrificial love. And, and that's the basis. If someone says, what makes the well tick? Why are you guys doing what you're doing? I hope that you just keep saying, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. All the lights, all the flash, all the facility, yeah, it's just packaging. It all went away. We would meet at Liberty Park, and it would still be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen? Amen. So how do we get to the usness? We all start here. That's the great equalizer. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners saved by grace. And the grace that I, I received from the cross, that's what I'm going to give you. The love I received at the cross, that's what I'm going to give you. So that's why I love uh, every week when we celebrate communion. It brings us to Jesus who said, do this in remembrance of me. But communion is also very visual. And that's why you have, we have you come up. is because I want you to see the usness. It's very, it's very intentional why we still have you come up with the seedings as we're still able to have you come up. I want you to stand up. When you stand up and you come forward, look around. It's us. It's us. It's not theory. The person that you're to love and be devoted to and honor is in front of you in line, behind you in line, and right next to you in line as you come forward. And how is that possible? The cross. So Lord, as we prepare, as we prepare for communion, you say to do this in remembrance of you. So Jesus, thank you for the word. And Lord, we recognize that usness is impossible in the flesh. 
usness requires us to go back to the cross and once again renew our love for you and your love for us and your grace and your compassion and your mercy. And so we take this time as a church family to come forward in communion to remember you but also to visually see today that there is an us. And for those that are, are here visiting, maybe you don't know where you stand in the, the relationship with Jesus. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. And we encourage you, believe on Jesus. Just rest fully in his finished work. You are invited to the us. Because every one part of the us was simply where you were at one point in our life. And received God's grace through Jesus. So do that the best way you know how. Put your faith in Jesus and then join us for communion as part of the family of God.